I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the show, Once Upon a Gene, the mothership of rare disease stories and connection. (laughs) I'm Effie Parks, the lucky one who gets to host this show for you. Thank you all for sharing this show with your people. And thank you for taking the time to send me messages about it. And thank you for writing reviews on Apple. And please consider doing any of those if you haven't. Share an episode with someone you think it would resonate with. And, you know, reviews always put a little pep in my step, but they also contribute to helping others decide whether or not to press play on the show. So thank you. And you're the best. So the Global Genes Patient Advocacy Summit, it's wrapped up a wild success The virtual recordings are now all available online. So go to cvent.com, that's the letter C-V-E-N-T.com, and sign in with the email that you use to register for the summit, and you can access the entire summit and make sure that you don't miss any of the panels that you didn't get to see or perhaps didn't get to watch it live in general. So I hope you enjoy those recordings. We would love to hear all your feedback. Please make sure and fill out the surveys about the summit so we can always add, take away, and just make it a better and better experience every year. Today, I have a new favorite advocate on the show. Oh my gosh, hands on your hearts for this conversation. He is a passionate advocate and a blogger about the importance of the caregiver voice and how much expertise we have parents and caregivers and patients bring to the table. He pressed his doctors to look for a specific diagnosis of Creld 1 after sleuthing it out online from his daughter's symptoms. And guess what? He was right in the end, but not before he decided to have another child when he was told that this would never happen again. Whatever she had was a fluke, and it wasn't. His words are so beautiful, and he's so authentic. And he brings such a unique dad voice to the conversation. And he has three beautiful children, Daisy, Lola, and Alfie. Lola passed away from Creld 1, but it has given them a lot of insight on how best now to move forward and take care of Alfie, who shares her variant. Please enjoy my conversation with Adam Clatworthy. Good morning. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hey, hey, Effie. Thanks for having me on. Yes, I always love having a guest from across the pond and a dadvocate. It's such a treat, and I'm so grateful to you for joining me on the show to talk about your family. No, absolutely. No, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, I'd say from listening to so many of your episodes since we started this journey, 
I think it's fair to say I'll probably be, be the far least experienced guest you've ever had on the show. But uh, there we go. I'll, I'll try and offer something that's at least will help some other other dads out there, hopefully. I highly doubt that. And also the accent like puts you 10 steps ahead no matter what. Everyone loves it. Oh, so thanks. it'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, can you tell us about your beautiful family? Yeah, sure. I, I don't know where to start, really. I, I mean, we've only been on this journey for four years now. It kind of feels like 10, as <laughs> so I'm sure for you days feel like weeks sometimes but look my name's Adam I have an awesome family my wife Jess she's a pediatric nurse I work in communications that's my kind of day-to-day role and I have an amazing daughter Daisy who's going to be seven years old in a few weeks going on 17 and we have Alfie who is 17 months now and so that's us in terms of our family is is bigger than that we have we have Lola, Lolly, um, as Daisy affectionately nicknamed her, Lollipop, um, who is in our, f- she's very much in our family. We, we talk about her and Daisy's always drawing pictures of her and um, remembering all the, the amazing things that, that she used to do. But sadly, we lost Lola just over a year ago now to this very, very rare condition that we've only really just started to, to understand a bit more. And yeah, that's yeah, kind of where our journey began, really, um, with with Lola and this condition that, like I say, we had we had no idea what it was until about yeah maybe eighteen months ago. So yeah, shall I talk a little bit about yeah Lola's story and and where we kind of began this journey? Yeah, first I'm I'm so sorry about the loss of little Lola. Um, she's so beautiful, and when Alfie was only five days old, like come on, universe. Yes, so I know that your story to finding a diagnosis for Creld 1 is very twisty and turny and not necessarily the normal diagnostic odyssey for for most families. So please tell us how you came to find out her genetic variant. Yeah, sure. So I I imagine we share a very similar beginning of our journey to many other parents out there who've who've been through a similar experience. But yeah, with Lolly, when she was born, there there were a few things that we were a little bit worried about. She was very quiet. She actually had positional talipes with her, her feet. And there are just a few early warning signs in terms of certain things that you'd expect a newborn baby to be doing, even after a few days. But it was only really after about three months when Loli, she started doing these weird things with her eyes. They were almost like little, little twitches that, that didn't seem quite right. So as you can imagine, we were freaking out like any other parent would, going to, the, to our doctors and just understanding what they could be. The doctors thought it was... Like silent reflux was the kind of initial response to to those twitches and that, that they may just be linked to that. But we, we kind of had a really horrible feeling that it was something more than that. So as you can imagine, lots of visits to the doctors, lots of visits to hospital. And it was maybe after about four months when she had her first proper, what we, we called a seizure, where she was rushed to hospital just with like rhythmic jerking, that sort of thing. I was actually away in Germany at the time for work and I just getting that phone call from your wife saying, hey, we're in hospital, but don't worry. We, we think it's nothing, but Lolly's lips went a funny color and we're just getting her checked out. And as you can imagine, flying home was was not fun and, and rushing straight to accident and emergency and, and seeing your tiny little angel connected to all these wires and yeah, just them trying to figure out what was going on. And, and really that became the norm for the next maybe two months, just being told that they don't know what it is, that she's not hitting her milestones and us just kind of 
what happens if if this happens at home like we had no, at this stage we had no idea it was epilepsy we had no rescue medication we were just vulnerable like if she ever had a seizure at home we just had to call an ambulance so that was kind of our lives for maybe six months seeing lots of we saw a neurologist and she said oh i can't see anything that would worry you like okay she's a bit slow to hit these milestones we don't know if they're seizures we don't know if it's epilepsy but then after about seven months they did finally say look we think it is epilepsy we'll start her on a medication but don't worry like 80 percent of the time like the first medication should work and but yeah i mean that was just really the start of kind of going through medication after medication hospital visits in and out still getting no answers. At this stage, I was doing like what lots of other parents do. You feel so helpless. So you, you trawl Facebook for different groups. We joined every single epilepsy group on Facebook that we could find, asking questions, uh, saying, have you seen this before? Have you seen these types of twitches? And it was just one freak evening. I, it was a standard evening for me, sat on my phone, 11 o'clock at night, couldn't sleep. And I just posted a video of one of lolly's seizures to this group and just by pure chance i had a message from another mother in this group who she said i i very rarely go on facebook and your message came up and i felt like i had to to get in touch and it she said it was almost identical to her son levi who had been having very similar twitches at a very young age and uh yeah, we just got to know each other. Katie, she won't mind me mentioning her name because she's been a godsend on us, her and her family. They actually live in Canada. And we just got talking about this this condition called Creld 1. And we'd never he- heard of it before. It's typically linked with heart defects. But they were part of this research study with Yale University and Gene DX. So, But their story was just miraculously so similar to ours. They'd sadly lost their daughter. Hayden at 22 months uh, to this condition. They then had a perfectly healthy daughter, very similar age to Daisy, but then they had Levi and he'd obviously had the same condition as, as Hayden. So they knew it was more frequent in siblings but because we hadn't had the diagnose the official diagnosis for creld one we couldn't be added to this creld one study with yale so i was kind of speaking to them and they said yeah make sure your geneticists look into it and we'd had so many genetics testing done with lolly we were part of this annual study where they they take the the dna test but they only go back into it every 12 months just to see if there's any new conditions that that come up and whenever I used to ask about Creld 1, the geneticists were like, why are you even asking us about that? There's no link between Creld 1 and epilepsy. It's almost like I was wasting their time. And it got to the point where I'd just kind of given up um, asking because we weren't getting any answers. So cut a long story short, we decided to have another child. As you can imagine, when you're dealing with a special needs child, you kind of need some kind of hope something to focus on that's going to bring more energy and positivity to the family and we just we were desperate for daisy to have a younger sibling that she could play with and get a response from and and look lola is daisy's younger sister and she always will be but she was never going to be that younger sister that she could run around in the playground with and get a normal reaction to things or or talk to her and all, all the things that all of Daisy's friends at school, they had younger siblings and she would be the one on her own asking us, why can't Lola do that, mummy? Like, 
why can't Lolly do this, Daddy? Like, is she different? So we spoke to many doctors and geneticists and asked them, like, what are the chances of this condition happening again? And they said it was like a lightning bolt. Like, the chances of us having another child with this condition, whatever it may be, were like 0.2%, something crazy. And we just made the very, very difficult decision to have another child and, and, and take the risk. And... Look, everything seemed fine. Alfie arrived in the world. There were there are a couple of things that raised alarm bells. When he was born, he was also very quiet. He had positional talipes. But after a couple of days, he seemed like a normal newborn baby. He was screaming. He was going to the toilet. He was doing all the things that Lolly couldn't do at a very young age. But then as parents, you're freaking out. You're like, okay, when's he going to do this? When's his head control going to be a bit better? His eight-week checkup, that was fine the GP didn't raise any concerns but it, it as it went on and on week by week okay he's still not holding his head up he's still not really making eye contact like should we be worried here and then it was like we lost Lola at well Alfie was only four days old and so you're you're grieving for the loss of a child whilst also trying to focus on a new life that you've brought into the world and then it was three months almost to the day Alfie had his first seizure similar to to Lola's and then you just kind of thrust back into that world again and look if we hadn't have had Alfie maybe we would never have looked further into Kreld one maybe we would have just forgotten about it but as soon as Alfie started showing this the same signs we immediately went back to the geneticist and said look have you tested for Kreld one you need to look into this like Alfie's demonstrating the same the same symptoms like you have to look into this um and literally 24 hours later they came back and said oh we, we've gone back into lola's dna sample and we have found these irregularities with Creld one and, and that's when it all kind of came to light that's when we were like we knew that gut feel that we had very early on from speaking with katie it was finally listened to and the first thing they said was we've never had this before we've never had a parents so closely identify a new rare condition like this before and now we need to look into it and now we're going to be doing all the making sure this doesn't happen again but for us it's just like guys come on you could have listened to us 18 months ago and we would never turn back time and we would we're, we're so thankful that we have Alfie in our lives but still we would have been armed with the the right information to know like what kind of future life he would have and you'd just be far more prepared for it. So that's kind of the journey. It's, it's just been a real roller coaster in, in so many different ways. But now I'm kind of like, I'm just trying to navigate this journey as best as we can for Alfie and just make sure that we do things differently for him than we did with Lolly. I mean, we're armed with so much knowledge of what didn't work for her. So we have to make things better for him and, and do, by, do right by him and trust our gut instincts and not only listen to the doctors they are important but we know our children better than they ever did so yeah that's kind of where we're at really you say roller coaster and it's like the roller coaster in the dark and it's terrifying so many things about your story just like it's so heart-wrenching and thank goodness for katie the angel on earth who found you the moment you needed her but i read stories like yours not like yours but where Families are told that they've had all the tests done, they've had these genetic panels, and that their kids will catch up and to stop worrying and, you know, to just basically leave. And you're not an expert. We know what panels epilepsy would be on and blah, 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 blah. And parents who don't necessarily 
have the resources or the bandwidth or the capacity or the access to keep asking questions and to keep pushing through and getting answers with the doctors, they get left behind and they don't get to go back and get their tests redone. And they decide on family planning because they've been assured in one way or another. It's time after time. And like you said, the patients and the caregivers need to be listened to 100% because they're the ones living with these, with these children. And they know what the day to day is like. Absolutely. Because in between, right, you're, you're dealing with looking after a child that has very special needs. And it's like you can't sleep because you're worrying if they're going to have a seizure at night. You worry about what you're going to find when you when you go into their bedroom in the morning. And there were so many times that we were scared about what we would find in Lola's room when we would go down every morning and see a little face just smiling from her cot. There were so many times when she'd been really poorly, like poorly where we were just so worried about her breathing. And and the day I found her, thankfully it was me and, and not Daisy, as often she would go into her room and see her in the morning. So in between, you're, you're just dealing with just the emotions and just the demand that this child puts on you. And you know what it's like. In between appointments, it could be months and months before you see a doctor from time to the next. And you don't hear anything for days. You get a letter through the post that is just awful to read because they're so clinical. It's like everything in black and white written about your child that they can't do. And it's just, you, you don't get that until maybe a month after you've seen the doctor and, and so much has happened in that month. And it's just a reminder. Yep, she can't do this. She hasn't responded to this medication. They're looking into these tests. That could be six weeks before they get that blood test booked in. It could be another month before they can get an MRI booked in. And Lola had so many like uh, ECG tests, you know, where they have to connect all the electrodes to their to their little head. And we would we she would go through that, which was torture, just attaching all these wires to to a tiny little head with this thick hair. And I just remember trying to navigate her hair with all the glue that they put in, and and she would go through like I think the longest she had was maybe three days, just measuring her brain activity. And then you don't even get the results for, for weeks and months. And it's kind of like you put them through all of that and hear nothing. So you kind of put all your trust in the, the experts, but you get nothing back. There's no like dialogue as a parent. There's no one saying, look, this is an organization you can reach out to. This is a charity that can provide you with support. This is a charity that helps you get access to, to sleep monitors so that if they do have a seizure at night, then you'll have the peace of mind that the, an alarm will go off and, and you, you can try and get some sleep. And it's only really, I mean, our, our godsend and, and thankfully my wife, Jess, just being a pediatric nurse, she, she knows how to navigate the system. But if, if you're not a, a nurse or have that kind of background, you don't know where to go. You don't know who are the people to trust. And it's, we spent so many days and, and weeks on the ward that Jess was actually, she was like the head, the head nurse, but she, she used to deal with these consultants day in, day out. And she was now on the receiving end of them telling her, like, she's worrying about nothing. And why are you asking us those questions? And, and that's where she com lost complete trust in them. And it kind of felt like we were just a burden on them. So we had to quickly just forge our own path. And I'm sure many other parents listening to this will have similar experiences of just not being kept in the loop of where things are at and how to go about getting the right support. It's very much like you just have to spend the time doing it yourself, 
when you're not looking after your child and when they don't need you and when you're you're getting some sleep and rest when whenever you get those times when you can relax a little bit when they're asleep you're spending all those those minutes just researching online and it's a classic saying right a, a parent with a special needs child is like a, an fbi agent like they will do like they will find anything they need about something just to try and get the answers they need and they, they will troll forums and facebook groups and other parents and other families to try and get the answers they need so it's yeah it's just a sad state of affairs that so many people have to go through that experience and that's why th this the facebook group that we've joined called creld one warriors i mean they are they are they are warriors in every sense of the word and we talk to them every single day we feel this real connection and bond with them even though we've we've never met most of them well yeah i'd say we we met the first family actually um a few weeks ago uh, there's another family in the uk that we found that has the same creld one diagnosis and they found it purely by reading one of the blogs that I'd written. And their child, Matilda, was really struggling in hospital. And she may still have been struggling in hospital if they hadn't have heard about our story and, and subsequently got some, got some answers for them. But without this group, then who knows where we'd all be at. We'd all be feeling very alone and um, in a very different place right now. Yeah. How has your advocacy changed like in a doctor's office setting since Lola died and now having Alfie going through the same stuff? How do you approach your appointments or what do you not take no for an answer for anymore? We're definitely being listened to and, and thankfully we have a neurologist who very much listens to us and he's now seeking guy, uh, counsel from us. Um, he, so he recently spoke at a um, big UK medical convention where they actually presented our story as a case study about the importance of listening to parents as part of the, the diagnosis phase. And he, he reached out to us and said, I want to understand as much about your journey as possible. And we had a call with him for about an hour where he was just asking us questions and listening to us. And so that's been a big, a big plus, but it's not just about us. It has to be for other parents as well. But now when we're having conversations about different treatments or, or different anti-epilepsy treatment options for for Alfie, they listen to us because they know what we've tried with Lolly. We know what didn't work. I mean, we know about so many different side effects that these drugs have. So they are listening to us. Uh, there are certain things that we're going down our own route with, which they will probably never acknowledge. Like the more therapeutic and natural remedies that we know can help as well and are far more they're far safer than just giving them anti-epilepsy drugs because we know i mean some of the side effects of these drugs are just horrific and we know at the moment alfie's really struggling with his his swallow he he's definitely hungry but he really struggles to swallow his food and we know that that's a really really common side effect with with one of the drugs that he's on so we are very resistant to just trying another drug because it may work because this condition is so rare and just from talking to all the other families, there's no silver bullet. There's no treatment that has worked for all of the children. And most of the children are on at least two or three different anti-epilepsy drugs and they're still having seizures. So for us, we would much rather try different options that can also help 
like healing the gut, for example, we know that's a really common challenge with children with epilepsy. It's like the gut and the brain are so closely linked. So how? So what are the ways that we can improve his gut health, help him go to the toilet more regularly? How can we help him with his breathing? Because we know that his breathing is so shallow. Like what are the ways that we can encourage and massage the diaphragm to get him circulating more oxygen around the body? And so, so rather than just treating the symptom, which are clearly the seizures and the developmental delay. How do we help the root cause? Like what is actually causing these seizures and how can we speak to experts in fields where more natural remedies can also help? So what are the different supplements we can try for him? But we know that that's, those different options are not necessarily recognized by medical bodies, which is fine. Like we have to seek counsel from the right people and just kind of then bring it all together and make the right decision for what's going to work for Alfie. We know that that may not work for other children with Creld 1, but it at least gives us different options rather than just simply, okay, if this drug doesn't work, we can try a new one, but it's going to take us maybe two months to wean him off this drug before we can then start trying another one. And I don't know about you um, and what you've been through with Ford and his medication, but as soon as you know that a medication isn't working, you just want to get them off straight away. And it's just it's just torture having to continuously give them a drug that you know isn't working purely because you have to gradually wean it off them because it's dangerous just immediately removing this drug from their system. So it's just a, such a long process for trying different options, whereas perfectly natural remedies and supplements, you don't have that weaning period in the same way. And you know that the, the side effects... I mean, what are the side effects from trying organic like vegetables? And one of the things we're giving Alfie at the moment is um, celery juice, because that's supposed to really help with your digestion and your gut health. And since we've been giving him celery juice every morning, he's been going to the toilet every single day. Um, whereas before, he used to really struggle just with going to the toilet properly. So you see much more immediate results um, with some of the other things we've tried. But yeah. Back to your question, we feel listened to, but it, it feels that's far too late for Lolly. Like it's, this isn't going to bring Lolly back, but what we've learned from with her is helping us feel listened to, and they know that we're coming from a place where we we have credible groundings. Like they've they've found this condition because of us, so that means they should listen to us more. And we've tried different treatment options that have helped that they haven't recommended. So again, they need to listen to us more because they only see Alfie once every three months, maybe once every six months. How much can you learn about a child in that, that one hour window every three to six months? You can't. So you have to listen to the people that are, are there 24-7. Every second of every day, we're with him. And that has to count for something. Yeah. And even just like the side effects and what you're willing to live with at home and what outcomes really make a difference in your family, whether it's a bowel movement or whatever, versus just being on the drug that you should be on and weighing, you know, what's most important to families and kids. I'm so glad you found someone who listened to you. It actually made me just think that I would love to have you and your neurologist on an episode about the epilepsy treatments that parents go through and the outcomes and all that and kind of dive into that deeper since, you know, so many of our rare disease kiddos have epilepsy. Yep, absolutely. But for another day, yeah. You know, Adam, I met you through probably everyone's favorite friend, Charlie Stewart, scientist extraordinaire and rare dad. And I was wondering, can you speak to having a relationship with other dads who 
are raising medically complex kids and what it meant to you or how important it is? Absolutely. Yeah. Charlie has been another godsend on us and he's been a real friend. Again, we've never met in person. I know he's just recently relocated to Germany, but it's it's definitely on my list to go and see him as, as soon as I can. But yeah, again, I think he, he read my blog on LinkedIn very early days and he reached out to me and just said, look, I don't know how I can help, but another connection that, that you can talk to is I'm sure will, will be really valuable. And you know what? He's We talk every week, sometimes every day. Um, and just having another dad that I can just get everything off my chest and vent to, because I find it's a real struggle, not just for men to talk about this sort of stuff, but just to have that outlet to get all your pain and anger <laughs> out of your head and, and for someone to listen. And I feel I've from starting the journey with Lolly, I've I've lost touch with a lot of my good friends, good guy friends from when I was younger, because they they wouldn't know how how to be around me and they wouldn't know what to ask me. And that's no fault of theirs. I would be in exactly the same position. Like I wouldn't know what to say when you're constantly asking your friends, like, how's Lolly doing? Is she good? And I was having to give the same answer every time. Like, mm, she's not she's not too great, but we're we're keeping positive and and then it got to the point where if we were in hospital, I just couldn't respond. And then you just kind of lose touch. So that's been a real struggle for me, like having people that I can talk to that just understand. And it's it chimes to your, your intro for your podcast, just having people there that listen who get it and can understand just a little bit of what you're going through. That means a, a lot because a lot of our friends have have never been through this experience. Thank God they haven't been through this experience. And just going to a lot of the charity days and the support groups, whenever I join Jess on those, there's very rarely any dads there. Maybe there's like one or two in the odd occasion um, that they can make it, but it's all mums. And that's great for Jess and, and they've been a real support for her. But I think for guys, it's, I don't know if it's the same over in the States, but in the UK, there's... They, I, I really struggle to find those online support groups for guys to just to talk, talk to each other and just hear about how their day's been. And it doesn't have to be a real deep and meaningful chat. It can just be a lighthearted get together where you just, it's just having someone ask you like, how are you feeling? Like, I think a lot of people are really scared of asking me how I'm feeling or how, how is Alfie doing? And like, I love it when people ask about Lolly. I love it. But I think people are too scared to ask about how how are you doing? Like just the memories of her. I just love talking about her and, and Daisy loves talking about her. I mean, she talks about her every single day and we're always, and whenever she comes home from school and she draws, she said, oh, I've been drawing about our family today. Lola's always in there and, and she's six years old. And so I'm the same. I had that six-year-old at heart where I just I just want to talk about Lola and I want people to ask me about her. Like if I go into the office, ask me, like, tell us about your best memories of, of Lolly. And, but it's, I, I guess I'd be the same. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. But I think that it, it, it's a struggle for men um, to do that. And back to, yeah, back to Charlie. We, we've had this connection just purely by, obviously, he has two special needs children. That, so he's going through double what we're going through in terms of the demands placed upon him and his wife and in, in just with, with Imogen and Jasper and, and making sure that he's he's looking after them and, and they're giving them the best quality of life. But the fact he's so generous with his time with me when 
those times when we're having a chat, I'm thinking, Charlie, like, why are you talking to me? Like, you should be spending more time with your children. But I guess he sees it as the same therapy. Hopefully he see, he values the time that he can chat with me as his opportunity to get things off his chest and vent. So there's that kind of him as a dad and a parent, but also us going through, I mean, his, his job is all about genetics and providing parents with support. And he's helped give me a platform to tell my story. And it's through writing that blog, blog with him that this other family in the UK have now got some answers and found a diagnosis for their child. And the fact that doctors were sharing my blog with this other family as the only source of information about Creld1 still is mind blowing to me that there's still nothing published on Creld1 and that has to change very quickly. But Charlie's also been helping connect me with the right people. And I guess building this website with Charlie has He's just introduced me to people that I would have otherwise never been able to find. It's like, hey, Adam, why don't you chat to this guy? Connect with this guy. He may know something about this. It's just another good good person to reach out to. And he's just really helped build this network of other experts and specialists and just really helped me navigate the whole complex world of clinical epilepsy and different genetics testing reports we can do and the data and like providing a platform for other other parents and families to to seek support um so he's been fantastic with that and i i think having him help me with the website i could never have done it on my own and it's a work in progress we're still very early days but um yeah he's been fantastic just a real connector real genuinely lovely guy that will always be there if i need him if i ever just need to reach out and say hey charlie I've had a bad week. Can we just have a chat and get this off my chest? He'd be like, anytime, just drop me a note and, and we'll make it happen. Charlie is a hero to the scientific community, to the dad community, to our rare community. It's amazing how much that sweet little soul can get done in a day. And yeah, when you're around your people, like you said, like, wait, Charlie, don't you, aren't you, aren't both of your kids in the hospital right now? Why are you talking to me? But that stuff just kind of melts away when you're with your people, right? Like, you don't have to try and you don't have to be anyone's like sounding board. Really, you get to just be there with someone who really gets it and who doesn't. You don't have to try to make understand. And so it isn't work. It's just it's life. Yeah, it's pure connection. It's life. It's it, This is our lives. Like and you know what? I, I wouldn't change it for the world. Like, OK, I'd much rather Alfie uh, has a better prognosis and a better future that we don't know what his future will be but he's my little boy and he's like he smiles every day and he I mean he you hear I hear this from a lot of your your listeners and your guests about how resilient and how their child will just power through and surprise you at the 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 those moments where you really need it you need those inch stones as they say not milestones, but those little little things that you think, oh my God, like that's incredible. Like if he can do that, then who knows what he can do when he's bigger. Like just in the last few weeks, like Alfie's just started like playing with his toys, like reaching out with his hands. And if I go to give him a kiss, he'll like, he'll grab my hair and he'll laugh and he'll smile. And like all the little things that bless her, Lolly could never do. Like she had these fleeting moments, but with Alpha, you can genuinely see like he's making eye contact and he's reaching out. He's he's trying to move and he's he's trying to reach out to us and reach out with the world. And 
like okay he's he's doing it later than he should but he's doing it like that's the most important thing and he's my little boy regardless like i'm i'm so thankful that we made that really tough decision to have another child i mean look so many other people out there can't have children like and we we're, we're so lucky that we've we've had three children and that is a blessing and for me that you have to make the most of that not just wallow in okay Lolly's not lo- no longer with us every day but she's with us in our hearts and we have Alfie and he has a very challenging life and he's very demanding and there's there's probably only me and my wife that can actually look after him right now because he has such complex needs but he's our family and and we'll do everything we can for him so that just has to be you just take it day by day right and i'm sure you're the same with ford like every day you don't know what it's going to bring um and you just have to find those like happy moments in every day no matter how tough that day is there always has to be that one thing where you say yeah it was it was tough and but he did this or i can see that he's trying to do this or this this is something that we can we can work on for next time like you you have to treat it like that otherwise there'd just be days where i just i couldn't get out of bed each day because i you just kind of you just you'd only focus on the negatives but you just have to find that inner strength i guess absolutely i know like the trauma you 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 feel and you go through by witnessing hundreds of seizures a day and by changing your mindset, which I think Daisy helped guide you toward, was not counting the seizures anymore, but counting when she would smile or when she'd make eye contact with you or when she'd put her hand up. Oh, yeah, you, you have to, because, I mean, like you say, Alfie, on a bad day, he can have, yeah, we can lose count. But you just have to change the mindset that he doesn't know what's going on. Lolly didn't know what was going on when they had these, these um, they're like twitches or little jerks. And you know that they don't know what's going on because sometimes Alfie will be laughing. And, and, and the worst thing is it's when he's really trying to, like when he's trying to laugh or he's really trying to, to move or he gets excited, that's when he's, he'll, he'll tend to have more. And you're like, come on, give him a break, please. He's just trying to like, he's trying to enjoy something, but he'll go from, he'll be laughing, then he'll have a seizure and then he'll go back to laughing again. And for me, that's when I thought, okay, he has no idea. He just zones out for a second. Like as long as he's safe, that's the main thing, but he doesn't know. It's not, it's not a painful experience for him. And yeah, with Daisy, I mean, she, she keeps us grounded and she, she only ever focuses on the positive things that he's doing and, um, she, she, she almost ignores the, the, the episodes he has now and just focuses on, Oh, daddy, have you seen him do this? Or look, he's trying to, he's trying to grab me or Alfie's being really naughty. Cause he's, he's trying to take my unicorn <laughs> off me and, and things like that. And you just have to have that, that mindset. Otherwise, like I said, you would just, you, you'd struggle to get out of bed each day because you'd be like, I, I can't, I can't deal with this. You have to have that, that different shift in mindset because it's 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 tough (laughs) it is tough otherwise i know we don't necessarily know what's in store for alfie but obviously working towards better outcomes than what lola experienced so what is going on with the crowd one in regards to any research and treatments so so what we know today is that i've had this kind of little project that again to charlie he put this idea in my head and i get once i get an idea in my head i kind of I'm a bit like a bull in the china shop. I just have to go for it because I, I just won't be able to stop thinking about it. But we've built this website, which is crelled1.com. And I, the aim really was just to provide somewhere 
for parents to go once they get a diagnosis. I, I, I said to myself, even if just one family finds this website and gets comfort from it, then that can only be a good thing because we felt so lost when we first found out about this condition. If you Google Creld 1 and epilepsy, nothing would come up. It was just complete nothing. It was only ever some some little pieces linked to, to heart defects, but there was absolutely nothing. So I said, that has to change. So we've built this website and it's just really about understanding the, the stories. I wanted to shine a light on all the other families that we've we've come to know and love and just hear about what they've been through, just anything that can help other families, like any resources we can provide, where are the places they can go to seek counsel, like what are the things that we've found about our children that they can learn from. So it's really just about being a support place for people to go. In terms of the actual clinical research with Creld1, there is this research paper that has been led by Gene DX and Yale. We are hoping that that will be published this year, although it, it could be next year. I know it's going through various rounds of um, reviews and feedback. And actually, our neurologist is one of the authors of the paper now, which is really important because he's got all those learnings from us with, with Lolly and Alfie that he can bring into that. So hopefully that paper will be published this year. So at least there is something medical and official online that talks a bit about this, this, ver this genetic variation because it, there is absolutely nothing in the British medical literature about this condition so that just has to be the first kind of first milestone really but then we have to be realistic this paper isn't going to give us any answers it's it's not going to say this particular drug has worked well um, for these these patients we know it won't do that so we have to be realistic but with with the website we have built this scientific advisory board which again has blown my mind how quickly that's come together in the space of about maybe four weeks we have nine members of our sab and we have some of the most leading geneticists and neurologists in the world all like wanting to get involved in this condition that no one's really ever heard of we have one neurologist in canada that's looking after one of the other families um, over in the states uh, that has curled one we have we obviously have our uh, neurologist involved in the research paper there's charlie there's some of his colleagues in the genetics field so that has been amazing just in terms of bringing together all these minds just to share and collaborate like just sharing knowledge sharing understanding and there's already some really interesting discussions underway in terms of how we can start doing some uh, research into potential treatment options. Again, we know it takes time. We know that funding is required. But the main thing is these conversations are happening and they weren't happening um, a few months ago. So who knows where it will take us, but it's actually the dialogue has started. I'm just a dad, like I'm not an expert in any field other than just what we've been through with our children. And the only thing I know is storytelling. Like my job is communications and writing about other people's stories. So I just feel really helpless. I thought, why can't I just apply what I do just to try and connect people, tell these stories, shine a light on them with the website and hopefully other good things will come from that. Um, I leave all the medical stuff to my wife because, like I said, she's our hero. Some of the things that she's opened my eye, mind to and 
like she understands so much more than me <laughs> with different treatment options and what we should be trying for Alfie and what we should be avoiding. So I leave all those important decisions to her. Obviously we have the conversations and we, we make those judgment calls based on what we both feel is right. But she has that knowledge that sometimes this goes completely over my head. So I'll stick to what I'm good at and I'll, I'll try and avoid things that I would just be a, a roadblock <laughs> with. <laughs> well, Adam, I think you're actually an expert in a lot of areas and you're blazing a trail and being a light for the next family and the next family. And you know how I feel about storytelling. Yes. So I'll, I'll include those links in the show notes and I'll also include um, some links for resources for dads. Thank you. I really just have one more question before we close. I was wondering, what is one of the memories with Lola that you and your wife and Daisy like often just laugh about? I would say that the one thing that we always laugh about was her laughing. Like her, she loved being tickled because we... With her senses, they were like, they say, like, if you have restricted hearing or if you have restricted vision, like your other senses are heightened. And we weren't quite sure, like, how much Lolly could see or hear. And but she was super sensitive to touch. And I just the most vivid memory I have is before bath time. I just love doing a bath time every day after work. And just having her on her changing table as we used to get her ready for a bath and just tickling under her arms and her neck. And she just had the sweetest little giggle. It was infectious. And then Daisy would start laughing and then she would be giggling. And then me and Jess would just be laughing at the both of them. And it's just like one of those moments where it's just pure laughter. Like, And that's one of the videos that I put together. Just as something for us, if we're really struggling and we we we, we miss her, which is obviously... We miss it every single day, but if we're having those really hard times and just need to have that reminder, I put together a video of just all those little moments where she would she was being tickled and laughing, and that is just pure joy. Just watching that three minutes of like her just giggling, and and that's how we felt that she knew she knew us, like she had that connection to us, and it was something that she really enjoyed through all those times where she had real struggles having those moments where you knew that she did have some enjoyment in her life that's that's like a that's a real brings joy to us and it's it's a, it's the best memory i'm sure daisy's memories of of lolly would be all those times that she she put makeup on her face or she she did a crazy bunches in her hair cuz she had the most amazing like wavy thick hair that every single day it was like all over the place but it was part of her it was her character daisy just loved putting bunches in her hair and like putting her in costumes and, and just making her feel part of whatever celebration we were doing, whether it was Halloween or whether it was Christmas and putting her in a little Santa's outfit. She just loved like having those moments with her. And to us that, that made us really see that Daisy did have a connection with her younger sister. She will always have that. Okay. It's not the same connection. She, her friends have with their younger siblings, but she will be so much wiser and she been through far too much sadness that any other six-year-old has had but my god has she take so much of that in her life and she'll do amazing things and she'll be so much more empathetic to life's obstacles and she's already shown that with just how she engages with other children that have special needs siblings that we meet on these charity days like She's so caring and mothering, like way beyond her years. So 
she will always carry that with her. And like I said, Lolly's always with her, like in her spirit. She's always drawing her. She's always making sure she's she's included. Like if there's ever, we're ever giving out chocolate bars at, at school, she'll always save one for Lolly or take things home that, that would have been Lolly's. And, and that to us is just, yeah, that's magical, really. Mm rare siblings and the side effects of of the medicine of laughter will both definitely change the world. Adam, you're amazing. Big love to you and your family. And I'm so honored to have had you on the show. And I can't wait for people to meet you. And I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you for being my guest. Oh, thank you. And thanks again for just giving me the platform just to, to tell a bit about our story. And I'd just say look to any other dads or mums as well, not just the dads, but if there's any other families out there that just want someone to chat to you and um, look, I'm, I'm always here and let me know if there's anything I can do to help you because uh, yeah, any, any way we can just share this, um, I think it will just go a long way to, just to helping provide support for other families. So, uh, so thank you. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, Please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.